if you found us here, you're probably a little like me. You think it's time to rethink the way that we do business. I'm your host, Raya Gonzalez, and this is the Client Experience Revolution. This podcast is for entrepreneurs and will give you all the tips, tricks, and tools that other badass business leaders are using to serve their community, their clients, while still taking care of themselves. So let's dive into this week's episode, have a little fun, and learn along the way too. Hello, and welcome to the Client Experience Revolution podcast. I am here with one of my very favorite guests, Stacey de Armas. Stacey was with us last year on our most popular episode, Roots to Riches, and I had to have her back. Welcome, Stacey. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be back. Thank you for the invitation. So Stacey is, I'm going to let her do her own introduction, but she is a very accomplished businesswoman. She's very influential in making strides for Latinos everywhere in media, in every industry, but really bringing information that is helpful for any business person or professional who's interested in making a difference in their community and really changing the narrative for how we move forward. And this year of all years has been an important one where we've really brought to light that, yes, we have made some steps, but there is a long way to go. And so Stacy and Nielsen, the company that she works for, are doing a lot of amazing things to help move that narrative forward. So Stacy, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do at Nielsen, who Nielsen is, and a little bit about how you serve the public. Sure. Well, my name is Stacey de Armas, and along with all of those wonderful things that you said about me, I'm also a mother and, and a daughter and a sister and a niece and a granddaughter. I have a lot of, I carry a lot of roles and titles, as many of us do. And I, at Nielsen, I sit in the intersection of Uh, community, advocacy, and business. And it's a unique role. It's a unique space to be. Uh, In the past, I had focused specifically on writing and, well, developing and uncovering and writing narratives to support the inclusion of diverse communities for brands and advertisers and, and, and networks and others, right? To really take another look at diverse communities. But we use Nielsen data to support these narratives with, you know, hard facts, right? The value of the community and and our contributions. And so that role has evolved a little bit as a result of all of the, you know, the the events of the last year or so. And I'm actually really happy that it has because it's given us more power and opportunity to discuss more. So my current role is Senior Vice President of Diverse Insights and Initiatives. And that means, again, I sort of sit at the intersection of what is valuable for our businesses, but also what's meaningful and valuable for our our communities. It's, you know, in the evolution that's occurred just in general in social justice and, you know, and the, the spotlight on diverse communities over the past, you know, several years, really two years, you know, and, and, and to be perfectly honest, the last four or so years, right? With the prior administration, there was a lot of, there was significant spotlight on diverse communities and their value. And it really underscored the importance of the work that we do at Nielsen, right? Because part of the work, Ria, is, of course, is to advance the narrative of the value of, of these communities. And we do that with data, right? Buying power, spending power, how the community's contributions are so significant and what categories they're significant. And so, That story is very advocacy driven, but it's also really designed for brands, marketers, and others 
to focus on this community group, invest in the group, either through product development, through content development, through, you know, brand advertising, the right mix. You know, there's a lot of elements, but we're now working on, we're continuing doing that work, but we're actually expanding it and doing a lot more thoughtful research around the next level. Like what's the next step, right? The story, it's not a secret. The story is out there that our communities are contributing significantly. The story is out there that there's still, you know, continues to be underinvestment and a lack of focus. Not the least of what I just recently saw some data around at vaccine distribution alone in California. Hispanics make up 40% of our population, but only 17% of the distribution of vaccines. So that and that's the latest data that I saw as of March 1st. You know, that's just that's in one area, right? One area when we're talking about health disparities that Hispanics are, are experiencing mm-hmm. when you think about about content that Hispanics are exposed to. There are so many places where we know that there's inequity. So what we want to do at Nielsen is refocus and of course, continuing to tell the story of the value of the consumer, but also try to understand what else we can do to support brands, advertisers, networks, distributors, you know, anyone on the media side of the business to advance their diversity measures, both in front of and behind the camera. Because we know that influences how people see themselves, which is very important for identity formation for Latinos, but also how others see us, right? What we have permission to become, yes. uh, if we have permission to be successful in our jobs, if we have permission yes. to be, you know, to be successful in politics. A lot of that has to do with how we're perceived in content. And so it's a new dimension for Nielsen. You asked me specifically what Nielsen does. We do, we do so much, but I think people most often when they think of Nielsen, they think of TV ratings, right? Like Nielsen measures audiences to content and we do, but we all, we measure so much more than that. And one of our, our newest acquisitions, and it's not that new anymore at several years, but Grace Note has allowed us to take the same detailed look that we take with audiences and content consumption to layer that same uh, focus over content. So we're now able to better understand all the DNA of content. So all the metadata behind who's in the content, everything about it, production, distribution, talent, themes associated with content, and really dissect it to understand what makes content work. Love it. Not only that, but what's, who's in that content, the themes that it represents, and the stories that it tells. And through that, we've developed something called inclusion analytics, which allows us to put a detailed lens on content to understand how present people are of different identity groups and in content, you know, how often they're cast and the share of screen that these people have. So we think it's a really important advancement in telling the diversity story. Well, I think there's multi layers there. I think you know, as the mom to multiracial children, you know, my children are half Mexican. And so they don't see themselves represented very much in media and, you know, even, you know, even the Latino side of them, but even having multiracial people being represented. So having a rise in that, I think is very helpful. But we were talking off camera a little bit about some of the places and some of the shows and things that are getting it right that are really sort of breaking the mold and like causing this phenomenon uproar of awesomeness 
And one that came to mind that's a classic is, and it's, I think it's, there's no um, secret that Shonda Rhimes is behind two of these that we're going to talk about, but mm-hmm. Grey's Anatomy, which was, I think, one of the first that really just broke the mold where it was just like, we're not going to, this is not going to be white guy, doctor, you know, whatever. It was like, this is the character. So let's just see everybody for this character until we find the character. And then my 11-year-old and I are obsessed with Hamilton. And so we know every word to every single song. Uh, so and, do I. And, and I'm the not versions, 11. Uh, um, <laughs> and my kids do too. I, my 17-year-old yes. and my 15-year-old. We have been obsessed for years. It's just, it's such It's so good. Book. We have a little deal that when Hercules Mulligan comes on, we go da 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 Because she's 11. So the part that his part is a little bit more yes, advanced. But I recall, I recall. <laughs> but I think for her to seeing, you know, they released that. I think they released that on Disney Plus for her to see. And then I also was able, was like, bless. Oh, blessed to be able to see it in Seattle at the Paramount. And even to know, like something I didn't know was that they mix the characters when they move to locations. Like they, like it's not a static type of a thing. I mean, the actors are all different every single time. And so, and then, so that is just, you know, the frenzy behind Hamilton is amazing. And I remember, I forget the name. I think it's Philippa Sue, but I can't, I can't Mm -hmm. remember if that's exactly right, but she was an interview and she was telling her father or her grandfather that she got cast. And he was like, um, pretty sure you're not talking about the right show because yeah. She's like, no dad, it's, you know, they're, they're not, they're doing things differently. Well, she, she's the original. She is the, the, was in part of the original cast. And I did, I was fortunate enough to see it in New York Uh, with the original cast. I wish I could touch you right now. It was remarkable. And I I actually (laughs) have been fortunate enough and I, and it's, Maybe it's a, a testament to my 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 fanning or what do they call it now? Standing, right? Yes. I actually think I've seen it. Uh, I saw it two or three times in New York, Ugh. twice with the original cast, and then yes. I am once uh, no twice in Los Angeles. So I, I when you want to, like, as soon as you brought it up, I was like, yes. let's yes. go, let's, let's go. have this conversation all day, every here. day. It's our go-to. We literally listen to it every day. I am but, here for it. So I, but so, you know, it was, it was a long time ago when I saw it. I saw it when it first came out yes. way back in. So we're longtime fans. So my kids are, are, are they're you know, they still have every word committed to memory, but they're, you know, we're past it sort of being the center of our household. But let me tell you, it was for years. I mean, years, not like months, years. Yes, it is. And I think it just, it, it just transcends. That's the thing. It's like, it's the story that transcends and that's the mm-hmm. part that I'm loving about where some of these places in media are looking at the storyline and the character development and saying, who is the right person for this character? Well, you know, I want to add to that because what's interesting. So this was, you know, this was many years ago when Hamilton first came out. And in, and I remember when I first saw it, I hadn't, I didn't know much about it at all. Actually, there, it was, it was still, and it's, you know, first one on Broadway. I didn't know anything about it. And I remember you know, the first time I saw it and seeing George Washington come out and thinking, wow, this is like, it's just such colorblind casting, absolutely the best characters in every single role. And, but the, the, the either in the, you know, perhaps intentional 
casting that was just, it was so beautiful and so just, it was just perfect. But I remember at that time seeing that thinking, this is a, a tremendous step forward that we we will look back and recognize this as one of the first, right? And now you and I were also before talking a little bit about Bridgerton, which is stop. another show, which is, I know, stop. Stop. let's just, let's just oh. stop. But like the colorblind casting, yes. and, and it, it's just, it's so remarkable to think of how far we've come. And it's also so disappointing to think of, you know, how much further we have to go. It's been yes. nearly seven years from Oscar So White and, you know, not that much has changed. Yes, absolutely. I was thinking when I was watching Bridgerton too, like you get lost in this world and you you forget that this would not have been possible. You forget that this would have been like illegal. And you like, at least I long for that to be the reality. You know what I mean? Not just because it's a fantasy and like smoking hot and like awesome, you know, storylines and all that. But like, like I want, I wish, you know, like I long for, I long for that for our today, but I also Mm -hmm. like wish that that was our historical reference too, that we could have had that. And remember, there's there's a clue. I think it's about the the fourth or so, third or fourth episode in, maybe fourth, where, because I too originally was like, oh, this is so colorblind, but it actually is very deliberate and intentional mm-hmm. because you'll recall a couple of episodes in, and I, I have seen this, I've watched it twice. It's amazing. Yeah, like, it I just, is. I love it. So good. When, when the, when Lady Danbury yes. says to the Duke, it says to Duke, you know, the, the Duke of Hastings, Uh, Simon, when she says, this all changed when the king fell in love with one of us. And she says that very, and at that moment, I mean, I had to pause it and I was like, okay, wait, this isn't just another, you know, like a dystopian, like this isn't just that everything's integrated. It, it happened purpose, you know, on purpose and deliberately the way it's written in through the marriage of the king to, as Lady Danbury says, one of us. And she's describing how important this union was for bringing society together. And there's this other, and that's what she she says deliberately, allowed us to elevate into royalty. And, to, and she's going sort of through this story. And as, as I listened to her, I thought, my gosh, it's almost a lesson or a message for us today. Like it is through our actions that we can affect this change. Each and every one of us through the power that we hold in our lives. And it was so poignant. I actually, I paused it and I like made my, my kids, this is the one part you can watch, you know, I want, and then I, and I want them to really read into that and what it's saying. And I feel like, you know, that's the work you're doing. That's the work I'm doing, right? None of us are Lords and ladies yet, maybe someday, <laughs> but yeah. we are using our power and our influence in the spaces we have to change that narrative. And the way that, you know, Lady Danbury says that it's beautifully written in and it is, it, you know, that's the deliberateness of what you don't know in earlier episodes is, is the cause of the, the, you know, the beauty that you see on screen. Which I think takes us to our next step. So it's like the first step is casting in a way that really allows the character to be the character regardless of the color of their skin. And the next step is the content and the storylines and then really telling real stories that resonate with people and will forward and advance the way that people think 
And so tell us about what you're seeing in that regard to help, you know, because we were talking about that a little bit too, in, in saying that, you know, in some ways we've made some advancements, but in some ways it's what we're seeing on TV is the same old story. And, you know, in general, generally speaking, and we're looking to see a change where we can communicate through media, through cinema, through all of these different entertainment industry tools that we have to educate about other cultures, to educate about what's important, to really elevate us all into a place where we can maybe come together. Yeah, you you just you just touched on it perfectly. The there is a component of this that is much more, you know, I don't want it to seem as if we're here today talking about Hollywood and entertainment and we're not really talking about people, the community and the consumer because we are, right? And and it is through how we see ourselves in content and how we are portrayed that others perceive us and that our own identity is formed. So there's really definitely a you know, a, a social science approach to this, but I, I don't want that to be lost on your audience, right? We're, we're supposed to be talking about consumers, the value of the consumer and growth. This is a part of it. And to only look at it through one lens, you would be missing all of the inputs that really influence, you know, how the consumer is perceived by brands and others, the investments that we are, you know, we are receiving at this point from, from, from all over, right? Whether they're brands or advertisers or whomever's investing in our community to look at it just through one lens, we'd be missing that. So you brought something up earlier. You were talking about your kids and you were talking about, you know, identity a little bit and, and seeing themselves in content. One of the really interesting things we have embarked on at Nielsen is a project that we call Grace Note Inclusion Analytics. And it's through all that DNA and that metadata, the little tiny bits of data that make up a, a piece of content that we're able to you know, dissect it and take a look at how present different identity groups are in content and how that compares to their presence in society, right? So really simply, we looked at the Latino community at a high level and we said, okay, we know Latinos represent 19 to 20% of the population. How present are Latinos in the most seen content? So we'll look at the top you know, 100 shows on television, cable, and streaming, and how present are we? Are we as present in content that people see as we are, you know, in any, in any given neighborhood, more or less. And the answer, of course, was a resounding no. We are, while we represent nearly 20% of the population, when you roll up all three platforms, broadcast TV, cable, and streaming, we are only present about 10% of the time. So we have a 10% share of screen. And it is actually worse if you separate those three platforms and you look just at broadcast versus just cable versus just streaming. I think broadcast overall is about five and a half percent. And so you, you start to realize, okay, we're not even present that much on screen. It's not surprising that the idea the, you know, the identities that we form or that people form about us or for us, what they think about us, are based on a very small subset of content where we're present. And then we took it further, Rhea, and we said, okay, let's look at the t- when we are present on screen, what are the types of content that we are associated with? Where are we when we are there, right? And so we took a look at, at, at Latinas in particular, and we said, okay, we want to look at shows where Latinas are represented on screen you know, at, at the highest levels. We know they're not represented anywhere near where we should be, but we took sort of the top, you know, we're the most represented on screen, Latinas. 
And then we said, we want to look at where Latinas are also most present in the audience because we have now two sets of data, right? We have the metadata around the content. And then we also have all of our audience data that we have always been doing. So when we marry those together, we can see not only who's on screen, but who's in the audience. So the subset was when Latinas are most present on screen and when Latinas are in the audience consuming this content, how do we see ourselves? And I have to tell you, some of the data is, it's, I mean, and I am not, um, I'm, I'm not being dramatic, absolutely serious. It's like, it's heartbreaking to see how young Latinas see themselves, generally speaking, in the themes around content. So because we have that metadata, we can also extract what are the themes of this content where Latinas are most present and where they're most in the audience. And the themes are things like melodrama, crime, fights, you know, dramatic, like it, versus we did the exact same analysis for white women and white women when they're in the audience and most present on screen in that same content the themes that came out the top themes were things like husbands daughters family homes pastures like i mean so different i was like okay it's no wonder <laughs> that that we you know this is like it's no wonder this is such a challenging battle that we are still engaged in right? We, you and I have been doing this work for so long. So the question is, why are we still doing this work? Why has it been seven years for, you know, since Oscar? So why, why are we still doing this work? And part of it isn't just because of how we're perceived from, you know, the political, the, you know, different corners of the political sphere or the social sphere, those ideologies and those perceptions of our community are definitely and absolutely rooted in how we are presented in content. Right. If you're outside of the identity group, all you know is what you see on screen. And if you are in that identity group, all you know is what you is your personal experience and what you see on screen. So it's interesting that in the the this you know pilot piece of research we did, Latinas didn't seem to have the same permission as white women did to fall in love on screen, get, get married, have children have, you know, get, have loving relationships, be in pastures, own homes. I mean, it's no surprise that, you know, so where this really needs to start, there's a couple of angles. One, we have a lot of work to do in the community. We have a lot of work to do with brands and advocating for the value of the community, showing our spending power, showing our strength, showing uh, the growth in the community, the acquisition of, of education, all of that. And the other part is working with media and entertainment industry to better present and position our community in content and in you know and as cast in content it doesn't mean every story has to be lovely and beautiful there are still going to be gritty stories and we love those right but they should be presented in in you know alongside content that better represents our our community what breaks my heart about this information is part i always tell my husband that my first love was mexico that he comes second because I went to Baja, California when I was in high school with a group of kids and we did some work down there. And I just knew like the minute I crossed the border in San Diego, I just like saw the signs in Spanish. And I was like, my life, like I get chills when I think about it because I was like, my life is never going to be the same. Like I just fell in love with this country. I fell in love with the culture, with the food, with the people, with the language. and. What I love so much about it is how warm it is. I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional, but it makes Aww. me so sad to hear that that's how Latinas feel about themselves. Because what I love so much about 
Latinas especially, is how warm they are. Mm -hmm. And and I think this is what isn't always being presented, right? It's not to say that this is how Latinas feel, but this is what they see. Yes. And they see themselves in content. And it's not, you know, we should also see ourselves climbing to the top and building and growing like we do. There is no secret, just like in the Black community, Latinas are the heart and soul and center, not only of our own communities, may I remind you, but of the communities we touch, right? This Latina, I can tell you, spent the morning organizing all of the activities that are taking place Friday night with the opening of our first, you know, in-person football game. And, you know, I don't even have a football player, by the way. I have a cheerleader, (laughs) but I don't even have one. But I was like... We you need my help, I'm on it. What can I do? Collect yes. waters, get the sign-up sheets or hand out protocols, have masks ready. I'm there for you. And so it's not to say that, you know, all that 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 all women or all Latinas do this, no. but I will say Latinas are at the center of their communities, the communities they touch, much like black women, much like Asian women. And so to see this disparity and how women see themselves presented on screen is is heartbreaking. Yeah, it is because it needs it needs to be changed. I mean, I think that I had a conversation and she's going to kill me that I'm telling this story because my this is one of my best friends and she listens to the podcast. But so she doesn't have a lot of experience. She's, she is Filipino and Apache and white. And so people think she has a last name that is of Spanish descent because she has Filipino descendants. And so people always think that she's Latina because she looks Latina. And she doesn't speak any Spanish and she doesn't know a lot of Latinos. And so she gets really frustrated because she's like, no, I'm not Mexican. And she doesn't know a lot of Mexican people, but she loves my husband. And so she had met a couple other people that were like distant relatives or whatever. And she had gotten this impression about Mexico and like basically about the cartels and about, you know, like the culture and the people based off of, again, media and this like one or two people that she had met and this limited experience. And then she was just asking me questions. And I was like, well, first of all, I'm white. So like, I'm totally willing to like answer your questions from my perspective uh, of being married to somebody who's Latino. But why don't you just talk to Ismael about it? Because he's like legit Mexican, came here from Mexico. But, you know, like these are stories and I said, I can tell you what my experiences have been, but she, you know, she felt, she felt bad because she was like, I just, I didn't know. And I was like, well, how are you supposed to know if these are the only stories that you've been told? And that it seems like really is the work that Nielsen is trying to do is just tell a different story and represent people in a way that is more reflective of what's actually happening. Like we need more badass like ball busting, black women, Latinas, Asian women showing up on the the silver screen because that's what's happening in real life. You know what I mean? We are running companies. We are running businesses. We are very prevalent in the professional community. And by we, I mean them, not myself, but I mean we as a community. And 
I just think that it's so important that this be not only studied, but implemented. And I love the work that you guys are doing. I think that's, it's, I'm so glad that we're doing this episode because it's like that it is like the next level. It's like why it was important. You know, when we did our first episode, we talked about why it is important as a business to be even relevant. It wasn't about like how much of your marketing budget is going for Latino marketing. It's like, no, that's like not even a conversation. It's just like you're marketing, you know? And you bring up this really important piece, right? It's like, okay, so we can't influence the, I mean, well, you know, we're not developing content at Nielsen, but if we show data on the content, on the presence of, you know, diverse people and and the themes, you know, does that and how can it influence the creation of that content? Yes. But more importantly, what you just said is investment in that content. If I'm a brand, I want to make sure that I'm investing in content that well represents yes. community groups and, or that I'm speaking to the right communities, right? Yes. I don't want to make sure... I, I want my content, my ads, and all kinds of content, I'm sure. But this is another dimension on which to evaluate content. Think of it almost like a brand safety measure. I mean, ability to evaluate content in this additional dimension rather than just audience puts the power in the hands of the brands to make informed decision on the type of content that's meaningful for them. It also means... (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) It's okay. See, this is that one's staying in here, by the way. Is it? Yeah, it's staying. Because that's that's the best part about this podcast is like, it's real life. It's a real conversation. I am a real life working mom. My (laughs) children go to school from home. I have a little dog and I'm a single mom and I'm doing my best to power through all of the challenges of the day. And I encourage all of you on this call to do the same. We just, we we do what we do. We go. That's right. Um, But the piece that you said that really resonated with me was the brand piece, because this isn't just about, you know, of course it's about, you know, content that's developed and it's about networks and it's about, you know, streaming companies and everyone that's developing their own content and and distributing content. It's very important that they know what their portfolio looks like, whether or not it's diverse, are all people represented, but it's also important on the brand and advertiser side for them to have some power now to be able to choose content on this dimension. And by doing that, we're we're really getting like into the nitty gritty. But again, this is an area that I feel like when we're talking about the power of the consumer and, and, you know, part of the power of this community is in changing the narrative about how we're seen and perceived. And so the work we're doing at Nielsen is to provide the resources, the tools, and the metadata to to look at this on another dimension that puts the, it shifts the power in a way, right? It gives other people the power to evaluate content. Well, it takes the diversity and inclusion statement off your website and says, put your money where your mouth is. That's what you believe? Okay. Let's see it. Let's and see and it. we're, we, you know, we are, we're glad to be able to bring this dimension and we're not just bringing it, of course, to agencies and brands and, and advertisers. We're bringing it to distributors and to networks and to other content developers and studios so that they can also, you know, own their narrative and their story. We don't believe right now that any, you know, network or, or studio specifically is, is trying to underrepresent no. or, yeah. or that they may even not know this kind of data in this way has never been available before. It has been available through, you know, annually the uh, UCLA does a Hollywood diversity report, annually USC does one, but those are custom pieces of, you know, custom pieces of work that come out that are, are 
you know, dimensioned and they're in a, in a, they're a very important narrative, a very important voice in the industry. But what we want to do is take data like that, which we have, and marry it with audience data to really understand not just the content, but who's viewing it. And we want to operationalize it, Ria. We want people and buyers and planners and agencies and producers to have it on their desk quarterly. Not, not a report that comes out once a year that you evaluate on, on sort of big buckets of data, but where you say, what's happening on my platform? I'm Netflix. What does my content look like? Where are my gaps? Where do I yes. need to have new shows and green light new content from Afro-Latinx, Black trans? Where am I missing? And the thing about this data is it's not just high level. Like we're not just looking at Hispanic, Black, Asian. We are doing this on more than 60 dimensions. So we can look at, at you know, LGBTQ Black women and we can take a look at their presence in content and whether or not it. they're represented or underrepresented. We're for the first time looking at Native American communities. We've not done that before. Afro-Latinx, we are opening all of the this data. And in some cases, the gaps are striking and they're disappointing and they're heartbreaking. Yeah. But we don't know the progress we need to make unless we can understand the gaps that exist. So we're also, you know, giving we're we're being we're giving some grace to our partners in the space, right? The the networks and the studios and the developers, because they, this data hasn't been available. It's before. a baseline. That's mm-hmm. that's really what this is. This is it's this baseline and saying, okay, this is where we're at, and now let's work together as a community to change it. And what I'm seeing is these different buckets. I'm seeing that we as consumers, just as people, can consume in a way that is more inclusive. That we can consume media that's more inclusive. That casting in media can be more inclusive that the story writing can be more inclusive, that studios and networks can be more inclusive. And I just think that it is this amazing rainbow of people that can come together to create something that looks a little bit more like what everyday life looks like for us. And that's so important. And so thank you guys so much for the work that you're doing, for the information that you're bringing to the public. I think it's so important. And I always geek out. I nerd out when you come on the show because I love all this stuff. Someday I'm going to work data. I have to tell you, Rio, though, if I would have known, I mean, if someone would have told me in college, oh, you're going to just spend time in spreadsheets and you're going to do pivot tables and lookups and you're going to find data, I would have been like, no, thanks. But I have to tell you, it is the most, some of the most rewarding work I do. I work with amazing people and there are stories even within like just the development of this product, the, the product founder is a Latina who came to us through a fellowship program. And her idea was like, hey, I mean, I'm oversimplifying it, but she was like, you know what? I don't see enough people like me on screen. Is there a way we can use some data that we might have to evaluate and the relationship between who's in the audience and who's on screen. Because her idea was like, I want to understand if there's more diverse casts, does it drive more diversity in audience, right? And mm. we would assume yes, but we want to evaluate it. And through her under her idea, she grew this product. But that's more than a story of just like someone who had a great idea. This is a Latina who didn't see herself who built this idea herself that Nielsen is operationalizing and growing. And it's like, so just that as a story within this story, we're trying to create a more diverse, you know, space. We were, there's, you know, all these understories where we actually did that inside 
You know, there are always great ideas, but this was one that our CEO grabbed and he said, this is something. And this, you know, incredibly talented, you know, data scientist and, and, and just her, her vision is going to have a legacy, a lasting legacy on, on the media industry. It's, oh, yeah. it's really remarkable. Well, again, this is the baseline. Like this is just the the starting point and it can now be evaluated moving forward. And hopefully we continue to see growth and mm-hmm. a movement in the right direction. So I'm- yeah. And there are so many, by the way, I should mention, we're yeah. just getting started. So we're open to ideas. Find us, anybody, DM. Uh, DMs are open. Let us know. Yeah. Uh, one of the other dimensions that we're looking at with for this data is like brand placement, right? So when you um, are watching a show and not Bridgerton because there wouldn't be uh, a beverage perhaps that you recognize on Bridgerton, but when you're watching other shows, brands evaluate content for brand placement all the time, especially on streaming where there isn't commercials per se. But like, how do you know, you know, if you want your brand represented in this content or uh, you might want to, but you might want to make sure that it's equitably represented in all, all kinds of content that features all kinds of people. It's another dimension. You could never do that before. You just have to count one, two, three, you know, and we're not just looking by the way at the presence of diverse people. We actually look at the top 10 cast over, over the season and we look at minutes on screen. So we're really awesome. trying to look for an equitable representation, not for example, where, you know, there's a guest spot or something like that. That right. doesn't just automatically elevate, you know, the, it's, it's recurring cast is what we're looking at. Love it. Love it. Well, I'm not going to make you give your your best advice ever because I still remember your best advice ever, which is you you should take it if you're you, something about like if you're going to need it if you don't. Uh, well, take I have it. a new one. I oh, tell me, one. tell me. Okay, so I have a new one, uh, and my new one came to me from a conversation I had recently with 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 someone at Nielsen, and we were, you know, we're trying to work through something, and it was a little difficult, and they said, you know. There are advantages to being bold. He said, being bold means you only really have to say it once. Ooh, so true. And that was very true. And I also realized that we can be bold and we can be assertive without being aggressive. It's okay. And I think, and especially for our community, we are often taught that being bold is aggressive, but it actually isn't. Being bold is being assertive. And it's okay, you know, in our, in our community, specifically Latinos, we, at least I will speak for myself and my family, we, you know, struggle a little bit with that sort of being bold and assertive because we are, it's just, it's it culturally, it's, it's not something that, that aligns culturally with my upbringing. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not going to describe it to all Latinos, but I would dare to say that as a, you know, as a community, this is one of, it's a, it's a social science finding, right? Mm-hmm. We're a collective community. So generally speaking, being bold is often associated with being aggressive, but it doesn't need to be. It's being assertive. So that's my new one for you. I love uh, the it. other one you were referring to is better. It's better to have it, have and it, and not need it, need it than, to, than to need, need it, it and, and not, not have it. it. Yes. And my dad says that applies to everything. He says yes. it applies to duct tape, a master's degree, <laughs> a extra sweater, a screwdriver in your trunk. He says it's and essentially what that means is be prepared. Yes, I love it. I love it. Well, if we, if we were to walk away from this conversation, we covered so much, but if we were to walk away from this conversation, what would be the one thing, if someone could only take away one thing that you would really want people to absorb about 
what's happening, what's changing, you know, where things are going, what would you want them to be thinking about as they, you know, really reflect on this episode? Well, gosh, I just one that is so hard. Yeah, I'll let you pick two or three. I'll, I'll pick a couple. <laughs> the first thing I want to say, and I actually said this in a call yesterday. So it was in a call yesterday with some colleagues and we were working on on some stories around female representation, gender equity in sports, in particular because of some of the events that have happened around the NCAA, et cetera. And I, I was bold and I said, it is a new day. And then I got, I got choked up myself in saying that on this meeting, you know, challenging some of the assertions that, well, this and this and this and that and female sports and this. And I just was very bold and I said, it is a new day. I, you know, this is something I cannot hear what you're saying because it is a new day. So that's one thing I say to yes. take away from this is, yes, this has been a long journey in, in advancing our community and our recognition, but it is a new day. Yes. And companies like Nielsen are, are everywhere trying to uncover all the different dimensions and opportunities there are to advance communities. Some of that will be through, you know, through, through data and through the visibility of representation and content. Some of that will be through community work, but we have never been more aligned to advance inclusion and uh, recognition of the value of diversity. And when I say aligned, I mean everyone from all spectrums. So perhaps those are, are, are the few things that it is a new day and, and we always, I feel like it's almost trite, right? Now is our time, but it really does feel like the events of the past two years have energized communities around seeking and demanding equity. And we, you know, for our Asian American brothers and sisters who are suffering immeasurably, yes. for our Black brothers and sisters who are and have been suffering immeasurably, you know, we, our communities who are still currently, even, you know, with the new administration, suffering immeasurably, our communities are coming together now. There is a spotlight on these issues. And so you will see action and advancement from both the public and private sector. And, and for that, I say it is a new day. I agree. I a hundred percent agree. And I hope that we can continue with the momentum that the unfortunate events that happened that caused the momentum to really rise up. But I think we needed to see with clear eyes, what was actually really happening and has been happening all along. And I'm hopeful that we can continue each day to rise up and say it is a new day. So thank you. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. My pleasure. I'm always here for you. I love love talking about this and I love talking with you about it. I love that your audience is interested and hopefully this will be a company, someone's run or walk. Or, or, you know, casual Saturday with wine or a soda, whatever That's people right. choose to. And, I, and I'm, I'm honored to, to have the opportunity. So thank you so much. You are so welcome. Well, this has been another episode of the Client Experience Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Raya Gonzalez. And we thank you so much for joining us. And we will see you next time. You know what I love? It means so much to me that you took the time to listen to this episode. If you did enjoy this episode or any of our other episodes, and you'd like to help support the Client Experience Revolution podcast, please share it with others. 
post about it on your social media, or even leave a rating and review. And if you want to catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at link.consulting. That's L-I-N-Q dot consulting. On Twitter at Link Consulting. And even better, find us on YouTube. The channel is Raya Gonzalez, and you can see all of our podcast episodes in video format if you're just curious to see what our guests look like. We appreciate you so much. And that's why we're excited to see you next time.